Hello, I'm Bradley Hayes and I'm an FY2 doctor working in South East London and welcome to the class of Corona, a podcast for final year medical students about to start working in the NHS. As always, you can get in contact with us via the SurveyMonkey link in the description below or at classofcorona2020 at gmail.com. This week's episode is managing unwell patients. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. So let's introduce our expert panel. So hi, my name's Dan Curley. Uh, I'm an FY2, currently work in A&E at the moment. And I'm Andrew. I'm an FY3 working in intensive care in central London. Uh, I'm Laura Patterberg. I'm also an FY3, currently doing a fellow job in paediatric A&E in south London. Thank you for all joining me today. So one of the biggest concerns raised from the questions was how to deal with unwell patients. So the first question for today is, and which is a really big concern when I first started, was how do I know when it's okay to work something out on my own? And when should I be asking for help? So I think it's a really important uh, first question. And I think uh, it's something that takes experience and um, you'll start slowly building up uh, this experience as, as you progress throughout your career and throughout your first few you know, days, weeks. Um, what I, I would like to stress is that at the moment, you know, more now more than ever almost, is that you're really not on your own. There's lots and lots of staff available at the moment. Um, you know, other doctors have been redeployed to certain key areas. Um, and there's just a lot of people around, a lot of hands and people who will really be there to help you out, support you and, and guide you. I think that's a really good point, actually. I think if you're ever in doubt, it's better to tell someone than to be in a situation where you haven't told someone when you should have. Uh, does anyone else have any things they'd like to raise? Yeah, there was um, something that somebody once told me that I always keep in my head when, I, when thinking about this question is um, the moment that you think, should I escalate this? is probably the moment to escalate um, or at least to kind of pay it some serious thought. And often that comes a bit earlier than, um, earlier than it may do otherwise. But I think as Dan said, that's a good thing um escalating early um it's also as this question it's not one for me at least that goes away um now in my starting my my job in fy3 where i was on the intensive care unit again the question was coming up when can i competently manage these patients and when do i need to escalate and speaking to some of my friends that are registrars um, it's a question that they ask, you know, for example, in the middle of the night, when do I need to call the consultant or when can I manage this myself? So although you build in your confidence and your competence and you over time manage things independently more, um, I don't think that question ever goes away completely. So it's one worth thinking about early. And I think, well, following on from what both the guys have said, you're never, ever going to get told off for escalating someone even if actually you were being a bit overdramatic and it possibly was the wrong call, you're no one's ever going to criticise you for escalating inappropriately. You will get criticised, however, if you have not escalated something early enough. And so I think early on, if you have any doubt, if something's just not quite sitting right, or if you just don't know, that's absolutely fine. Everyone's been there. And the safest thing to do is just to escalate as soon as possible if you're unsure afterwards if you want to talk to one of your seniors about it afterwards and say was that the right call was that not the right call always ask and then you can have a little debrief about it 
Um, and what certainly one thing that I learned, uh, I wish I'd learned sooner actually during F1, was at the point I decided I wanted to escalate and I made the call, whether it was to the outreach team or a registrar or somebody else, was that when I made the call, one of the first things I'd say to them is immediately what I wanted. I think when I first started escalating things, I'd kind of blab a bit about all the history and what I was worried about and blah, 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 blah. And actually, I should have just said, I would like you to come and review this patient as soon as possible. And it's for these reasons, X, Y, and Z. I think that's that's really important. Um, you, you know, you can you can say lots of history and, and, and parameters and, and blood tests and things, but actually the person over the phone wants to know what you what you want really uh, and, that, and that goes for any conversation that you have in the hospital um i think i think for me it's a it's, it's really interesting i think everything we're going to talk about on here is all situation dependent and we i think we've kind of started off talking about escalating unwell patients patients who might need senior review quickly um those those kind of patients but there'll there'll also be things that you're unsure about and this is a this is a complete spectrum from you know you chase a blood result and you've got a slightly you know low calcium what do you do slightly high potassium what do you do um to uh, you know you've got a you've been asked to see a sick patient and their peri arrest what do you do and and there's a complete spectrum there and and there's a there's a, a kind of a a stepwise approach as to how you can approach that. Uh, I guess you can, from the simple things, the electrolyte abnormalities or the low HB, there should be guidelines and you hopefully can figure out where, you know, where to find those guidelines and familiarize yourself with where they are, pull those up and you can work through it. Um, and there are always people about 11 o'clock on a ward, people will be around, especially at the moment. And I think, I think this is key. The NHS that, that you guys are going to come into is very different to what it was six months ago. You know, people aren't rushing off to go and do clinics. People aren't rushing off to theatres. These things aren't happening. So there are loads of people around and they're around more of the time. And I think just leading on from that, don't underestimate the value of um, kind of escalating just to, to one of your peers. Often just in those situations that Dan was talking about where you've got a blood test result that's abnormal and you or there's a guideline that you think you know how to fo- you know how to follow it and that you're kind of happy with what you're doing but sometimes it's helpful just to ask a, a colleague another fy1 um you know does this sound reasonable um it it sometimes doing that saves the saves um contacting a senior for slightly more difficult situations but also just gives you a bit more confidence and um a second layer of safety in what you're doing that's such a good point though. I think as a new F1, there are so many moments where you feel so desperately alone and actually you need to just step back and realise you work, you're working in a huge hospital. You're never alone. There's always people that will be willing to help you. It's just a case of figuring out where they are, who you can call, like Andrew said, whether actually it's just one of your colleagues that you need to call and just have a bit of a out, like out loud brainstorm and think, think your ideas through with someone else. Or is it the nurse looking after the patient? There is actually a prescription problem that you're like, oh, I'm not sure about this dose of antibiotic. Call the pharmacist on call. There's always someone that's willing to help you. And actually, I think a lot of the first few weeks of F1, you're already going to be learning way more than you've ever learned at med school in that first month. Um, But I think one of the most important things to learn is who your community are around you and who are the people that 
are there to help you and really familiarizing yourself with your new setting? So I think those are all really, really good points. Um, I just like to also echo what everyone else has said and just say that the first time you do anything, it's going to be a challenge. I remember I looked up the dose of paracetamol when I first prescribed it. <laughs> um, I'm sure a number of other people did. Even we all did it. Everyone did it. <laughs> admit it. Um, and I'd also just like to say that a good doctor at the start isn't someone who can make all the decisions and, and do all of the things without help. Um, but a bad doctor is someone that doesn't ask for help and will try and do things that they're not competent to do. I think another thing um, to talk about, obviously Dan mentioned how it's good to familiarise yourself with knowing who to escalate to. Um, one team in hospital, which I don't think I really knew anything about before becoming an F1, um, was something called an outreach team. Now, I think it's, they're called different things at different trusts. Um, at Lewisham and Greenwich Trust, where I did my F1, it, they were called the outreach team. Um, and they were essentially intensive care nurses that basically came to see very sick patients on the wards. And they were all band seven nurses, which basically means they're very senior nurses who are um, very clinically skilled and they are intensive care trained. So they're brilliant at acutely assessing a deteriorating patient. And this will be uncovered in your trust inductions. They might be called different things. I'm not sure, Dan, Andrew, if your equivalent teams were called other things but we were able to call them to ask for advice or if there was a cannula we couldn't get a catheter we couldn't get if we were struggling with access if we were just struggling with assessment of a patient and the medical registrar was otherwise busy with another patient they would also be a really brilliant team to get on board um, and they tended to come to all the peri arrests and arrest calls as well um, so definitely find out if you if your trust you're going to has a team like that um, because they're awesome and they will always be willing to help uh, echo that they're absolutely brilliant they're called the clinical um response team at, at st thomas's and again they're fantastic it's that's something that one of the important things to get out of your induction at whatever trust that you start in is who they are when and how they work how to get hold of them um and what they what they can and will do um, it does vary quite a lot from hospital to hospital so that's worth nailing down at the start because as Laura says they are a really vital resource when uh, things are hitting the fan. So I think we've had a really good discussion about how to escalate and our thought process is about who we're going to escalate to but I think it'd be really good now to have a chat about what we can do in the interim as initial management before we discuss with a senior or with another medical team. Um, one of the things that I found when starting off in F1 was um, that I'd, in the occasions where I'd come across somebody that was acutely unwell, for example, they'd become, you know, suddenly become unconscious, um, drop their GCS. Um, I knew quite quickly that I needed to escalate that um, to a senior. Um, and initially what I would do, what I found myself doing was I would immediately go and get on the phone and call up a senior. Um, and actually what I came to realize over the course of the year is that even, even as a very green new F1, you, you've got the ability to do some basic, basic maneuvers, airway maneuvers, getting oxygen on, um, checking blood pressure and things that, that you can do straight away that can make a quite immediate difference to a patient. Um, so I've come to, I came to value the doing an A to E assessment, correcting the, the immediate problems with that. 
um, sometimes before calling for a senior. Um, that's not to say that if you've got other people around that could call for a senior simultaneously, you shouldn't do that. But I think sometimes, particularly at the start, the temptation is immediately getting a senior involved, but actually doing a head tilt chin lift, um, putting an oxygen mask on, those are things that are somewhat time critical. And actually doing those, doing a, a quick A to E assessment um, and correcting anything that's immediately wrong is sometimes valuable to do before picking up the phone. Uh, likewise, if you've got um, a deteriorating patient, maybe not as critical as the one Andrew is talking about, but someone who's kind of deteriorating over the course of the day, um, you know, it's not a, 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 an absolute emergency there and then, but you can still do your A2E assessment. You can get some IV access. You can get some fluids running, give some antibiotics. You can, you know, send some blood tests. And then by the time you've assimilated all that information, you can, you know, that's a, if you've got the time, that's a great way to escalate to, to say, look, this patient's been sliding the wrong way all day. Um, this is what I've done. Uh, you know, this is, you know, I'm now at a point where I can't get any further um, without additional help. Do I need to, you know, think about something else? Um, I think it's, you know, when you first start out, this is all new stuff. And, and, and there are times where you'll need to get a senior involved straight away. But there, w- there will be times where you can, you know, get an ECG, do a, uh, you know, do a quick blood test and, and wait for those results before you discuss that patient. Um, but 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 actually, you know, like I said before, loads of people are around. You know, this is a team effort, and and you're not you're not on your own. I, I, I you know, I, I want to echo that really. And actually, following on from that, linking in with not only figuring out about escalation, but also receiving a handover about a deteriorating patient. Uh, one thing that I think you can do quite proactively is once you've received a handover, if it sounds like you need to go and see this patient pretty urgently, if not immediately. Um, You could obviously give some advice to whoever's called you over the phone about things they could do while you're on your way. So for example, if you had a patient, you had a call to say a patient has just vomited and now they've dropped their sats and I'm worried about the way they look. Um, A bit of advice you you could say, for example, is, okay, sit the patient up, put them on a non-rebreathe mask with 15 litres of oxygen and I'll come straight away. Can you get a cannula set? Uh, can you know, preparation set ready at the same time so moving on um we echoed a little bit earlier about when you're giving handover to someone it's really important to say the key line uh, headline facts about why you're worried similarly when you're receiving a handover what information is important to get from the person giving you the handover so i think and i'm sure a lot of the people listening to this will have heard and used the sbar format um for handover medical handovers situation background assessment and response um i think what we what we've been talking about up till now is that s the situation i think it's one of the most important things both when you're giving a handover and receiving a handover to to get right um so it's sort of headlining that handover um with what the most what what the person is actually wanting from you um, sometimes if you're receiving handover and you're, you start getting a, a stream of, of information like observations or blood tests and things, it's useful to just say, ha, just hang on a second, what, what is it exactly that you're looking for me to do? Because I think then, for me at least, that helps me process the information I'm then given. 
Um, so for example, if somebody's calling me up and they just want me to review some blood tests, um, that I'll handle that in my head in a very different way to if someone's calling me up because a patient is acutely unwell. And I think another thing um, to think about is sometimes when you're um, covering more than just your own ward that you're uh, familiar with, you might be called about another patient on another ward and the person contacting you uh, may not realise that you don't know about their patients. I think sometimes it, it's perfectly fine to quite politely say, I'm really sorry, I don't know all the patients in the hospital. Can you remind me, what's this patient's name? What's their age? What did they come in with? Um, and tell me the story and uh, tell me why you're concerned about them now. I think stick to the basics, get their name, get their age, get what ward they're on. And another really useful thing is always to take the name of the person that's called you. And that's not because you're trying to cover yourself. That's because then when you get to the ward, you can immediately say, oh, it was Mark who called me. Um, is Mark available now to come and help me see this patient? Um, something else I'd just say, if you are handing over to a colleague, say you finish your shift at five o'clock, um, and you're handing over to the the on-call um, ward doctor, ward cover doctor, you know, your patient's blood tests aren't back and you just need them chasing. Um, I think it's important to stress here that if you order a test um, for a patient and they're not back by the time you leave, you should be, ha well, you need to hand that over to someone to chase, even if you expect it to be normal. It needs to be looked at by someone that day. You can't wait for tomorrow um, to look at those results. Same goes for x-rays, the same goes for any tests. Um, but, but if you are handing that over to someone, so say, you know, I call Andrew up and, and say, look, mate, I'm, I'm heading home. I've just done a, uh, you know, a, uh, some bloods on a patient. They've spiked the temperature. You know, they're a bit tachycardic. Um, do you mind just, just chasing them? I'd, I'd say what the story is. Um, but but I'd, I'd specifically say, you know, what I'd want you to do. So... I've already taken the bloods, they're in the lab, please can you chase the blood results? And then a bit of a plan if, if they come back, you know, if the, if, if, whatever you're expecting. So in this case, maybe, maybe infection, sepsis. So, you know, I think the, the cause might be chest, please can you prescribe some antibiotics and, and maybe review the patient. Um, if the bloods are normal, that's fine, leave it you know, that make sure you have some kind of plan. So when you're handing over to a doctor who doesn't know the patient, doesn't know the story, they can at least act on these results when they start coming back. Um, so I think we're going to move on to a slightly different topic now. Um, so I've often found myself, I don't know what you guys think, when I'm at arrest calls and peri-arrests, I find myself at the back, especially at the start, not knowing exactly what to do. Um, so what ways and what things could you do to get involved and help out the team during an arrest? I think one thing that um, took me two or three arrest calls to really have the balls to do was as soon as you arrive at the arrest call, if it's already been established who the leader of the arrest is, no matter who that is, it's just to quickly introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Laura. I'm the F1 on the arrest team today. And then they just immediately know. I think it's quite easy just to kind of turn up and everyone assumes you're in the rest team but no one knows exactly who you are and as the F1 it's quite easy like Brad said to kind of slope into the background and just be wait to be given a job so if you just immediately go in introduce yourself it takes three seconds you're not delaying anyone um and you'll probably then be allocated a job so as I was just gonna say I think as a newly qualified F1 um you know especially in the next few weeks or months uh, the, th the type of jobs that you're going to be doing on, on arrests are 
you know, maybe getting bloods, access, uh, a, a, a gas, chest compressions, but but also looking in the notes, um, finding this, a bit more information about the, uh, the patient, what's been going on, um, you know, their background, any ceiling, you know, any ceiling of care discussions that have happened. Um, so, so, you know, you are useful member of that team. Um, and, and likewise, if you are tasked with IV access and, and you can't, you, you know, you've had a few attempts and you can't do it, you just have to verbalize that to the team leader and say, you know, uh, no, you know, I can't get IV access on this side. Can someone else have a go? And it's a, it's a team environment. There's loads of people around. And, and actually, that's not, that's not a failure. That's, that's actually success because the, the team leader can take, can take that information, process it and assign that task to someone else and then, you know, re- reassign a task to you. And, and that's how teams move forward and progress. So I think that's been a really good discussion on managing the unwell patient. I'd like to just end with um, everyone putting together their top take-home message. I think for me, uh, the top take-home message would be that you should never feel stupid asking for help and that being a good doctor is about asking for help when you need it. For me, um, I think in these kind of unprecedented times, just stressing that you're not by yourself. You know, there's lots of people around. There's lots of people to ask. You know, we're all in this together. And I think you're going to be welcomed very much with open arms. Um, and, and actually, there's a lot of camaraderie around at the moment. And if you need help, there's lots of people who, who happily give it to you. Mine would be, it's absolutely fine to not know what to do everyone's been there you're only human and this is your first job and you're going to continue not knowing what to do in lots of situations for the rest of your career so get used to it it's not going to change and it doesn't mean that you should be scared when you first start a new job um so if you don't know don't kick yourself don't take it home with you just know that if you don't know that's the time to ask my take-home message from this would be that there is always someone there to ask um whether that's someone within your own team um, either a, a, another F1 or one of the seniors, um, one of the ward staff, um, allied health professionals, doctors on from another team, there is always someone around that you can ask for help. So thank you all for, for the discussion. I think it was really, really good. So what we're going to be doing next session is bringing uh, the first session of coronavirus and this session together, and we're going to talk through specific examples of managing unwell patients. So we'll look at three and we'll look at one or two um, non-COVID patients and one COVID patient and how we've managed them in A&E, on the ward and on ITU.